0: News of the world's second largest empire penguin colony disappearing overnight. Also, the Coachella puppy dumpster Dumper was arrested and charged after Coachella. And a D.C. resident suggested that Howard University should just move its campus after the students complained that he and his dog are using the yards inside of the campus. As their own personal dog park, and while that may make you suggest that this week's countdown is animal focused, and there's plenty of animals in it, uh, it is very, very diverse, and you'll see as we get to it because these three stories very big, very huge, very important, but not quite top ten worthy, as said by you in your voting in what you responded to mostly. So while you like these, you like the top ten even more, and we'll talk about them in just a moment here on The Wrap-Up Show with Jay Cluvin Payne, brought to you by ThisIsAConversation.com. This is the show for the week, April 27th, 2019. And welcome to the show. I'm Jay Cluvin Payne. This is The Wrap-Up Show with me, both already said and also said already, brought to you by this is a conversation.com. It's a website that brings together the best people in the world. That's y'all talking about the best conversations in the world. That's whatever it is you want to talk about. Every 50 minutes inside our social media and through the website, we post a new link More about every 50 minutes. We're a little little slow on the uptake this week, so we're a little down. 191 stories, That's distinct stories, and post this week. But every 50 minutes or so, we post a new story from around the world. And you guys respond to it via social media. You like it. You love it. You hate it. You share it. You respond to it. And the more engagement each story gets, the higher it goes in the countdown. And at the end of the week, we put them all together for both Facebook and Twitter. And you tell us after we do the shuffling, get the numbers right, which ones are the top stories. And I am always surprised when it's all shooken up in the end because I keep an eye on the raw data every week. And then we put everything together with the actual weighted algorithms and we find out what stories are the tops. And I will tell you right now, I am surprised by what came out this week not by what that fact that you cared about it but but what were things actually stood out when all was said and done but to be said and eventually done you have to respond so that means following us on social media not just at the website or just the podcast on facebook look for this is the conversation and then make sure that you set us up so that we are a primary in your feed we show up we're not just hidden out there also on Twitter, it is TH underscore conversation because this is a conversation is way too long. And you can also follow us on Instagram as well at this is the conversation where every day you'll see the image and the top five stories on the raw weighted data to see which stories every day are up there. And then, of course, on Friday, Saturday ish, we go into this countdown here. Of course, we start off with a very special day because the day this has been released for the 27th of April is my daughter's birthday. So happy birthday to JJ as she turns seven, although she thinks she's 17. Meanwhile, we'll get into what you really care about, which is the stories that go from 10 to 1 this week. In the first segment, coming up in segment number two, we'll do the housekeeping segment. And we have plenty of housekeeping today with a lot of things getting in the in the way of making this a straight up countdown, including two super stories that even though they were super stories, weren't big enough to overtake the one into this week. And we'll tell you what story we call the Almost Irrelevant Story of the Week. Number 191, one posted very early this morning and got very little response, but it's something that has been trending for quite a bit of time. So you'll definitely want to hear what it is not so much irrelevant, just didn't get enough time to gain any life. We wrap up with the rounding out the top 15, going from stories number 11 to 15, three of which you've already heard in the tease, more details on those and maybe why they just were edged out by making it into the top 10. And part of that will be explained in the super story explanation. We'll explain what one of those is when we get to them. And that'll come up in, of course the housekeeping segment. But first, Segment one, the top 10, the stories that are the top for this week. Let's get into that one, starting with the story at the 10 spot. We may have had lesser stories or fewer stories based on how you like your grammar in this week's full countdown, but it was a tight race to make it into the top 10. And we start off with the number 10 story, which really did its best to make it in there. Stuck around for quite some time to get into the rankings. Abigail Disney calls on company to give 50% of exec bonuses to lowest paid employees. Posted on Wednesday, April 24th from CNN's The Source, we got this, and the story is pretty simple. Let me read a bit from CNN Business's website. where are based the CNN website, the business section, because it's business. Abigail Disney is doubling down on her criticism of executive pay at her family's company. Just days after calling the pay of Disney top brass insane, that's a quote there, the granddaughter of company co-founder Roy Disney wrote an opinion piece in the Washington Post in which she acknowledged she, quote, struck a nerve when Twitter thread about wage inequality at the Walt Disney Company, unquote. Here's some more quotes from her. I believe that Disney could well lead the way, if its leaders so choose, to make a decent, humane way of doing business. That was part of the piece that she wrote. She proposes the company put aside half of the bonuses its executive team earns, distributing that to the bottom 10% of Disney's 200,000 employees. According to a regulatory filing, six of Disney's top executives, including CEO Bob Iger, received stock awards and options worth a combined $62 million last year. That doesn't include the additional bonuses and potential millions of dollars more earned by lower-tier executives at the media and theme park conglomerate. So someone on the 1% is saying, hey, we need to do something about this. And maybe she's not as 1% as Bob Iger and the rest of those guys earning it right now, but this is someone who feels the need to display the love of the Disney family for their employees and for the people essentially down the line getting their stuff, and it may just be something she can afford to do because she is already rich, and we get that. Sometimes uh, people that have the means are the only ones that are allowed to really say what they want to say because... It's no repercussions from her. Now, if she were one of those 10% bottom 10% employees complaining about this, we probably would never hear the actual argument or the words from that person. But because of the person with stature and power, we hear it and we're glad to hear this. We'll see if anything will be done with this. Personally, I seriously doubt that. Let's move on to the number nine story this week, and this is going doing some history, revisionist history, which is Odd, but it goes on to tell you how things get really fluid and really weird in the actual movement. Hurricane Michael retroactively upgraded to Category 5 storm at landfall. Friday the 19th, this was posted. This gets a bump in response. That means more people responded to this story than the last story by 1.38%. That's how many more people uh, engaged with this actual story in the social media. Here's a little bit from this one, and this is also pulled from CNN. Hurricane Michael, when barreled into Florida's Panhandle in October, was actually a category 5 storm when it hit the coast, scientists at the National Hurricane Center said Friday. A post-analysis report said the storm was stronger than originally thought, that winds at landfall estimated at 160 miles per hour, making Michael one of only four category 5 hurricanes to touch down in the US storm was originally designated as Category 4 with 155-mile-per-hour winds when it made landfall on October 10th near Mexico Beach and Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida, the Hurricane Center said in a statement. Here's a quick quote from the statement. Category 5 winds were likely experienced over a very small area and at the near coast. And the change in estimated wind speeds is of little practical significance in terms of the impacts associated with the storm. The new estimate of 160 miles per hour winds was made after a, rev- a review of, quote, available aircraft winds, surface winds, and surface pressures, satellite intensity estimates, and Doppler radar velocities included data and analysis that were not available at the real time. That also comes from Hurricane Center. So this is an example of something I deal with basically every day when dealing with news and breaking news specifically. You would never really know what's happening until you get a chance to do your after action and see from the past. It's like reading a book or watching a movie. You can't really go through the whole ordeal until you know where the end was or what the actual resolution is. So when things like hurricanes are barreling down on you, it's good to know as much information as possible. But you can't really tell the difference of what it is and where it is until afterwards. So here's a case of the reevaluation of the storm after the case. And it went from a Cat 4 to a Cat 5, which we all knew from seeing this, the damage from this thing It was already pretty bad as it was rolling down. This next one gets a little bit weird, but as I said, these are per you. So if you don't like the stories you hear us talking about, it's kind of your fault. That means you need to go to our Facebook and our Twitter and sign up and engage in more stories that you particularly like. Of course, Facebook is This Is The Conversation, and Twitter is TH underscore conversation. The headline for this story in the number eight spot Britney Spears fans protest outside West Hollywood City Hall because that's what they did. And we posted this on Tuesday, April 23rd, a bump in response, 14.29 percent. That's how many more people were into this story than the last story. Let me read you a few lines from the source that we pulled. This is essentially from from AOL is the link where it was posted, but it's essentially a, a story written by a variety that they posted from their feed. A group of protesters gathered outside City Hall in West Hollywood in Monday afternoon to demand the release of pop star Britney Spears from a psychiatric facility. Carrying free Britney signs and chanting, hands off Britney and justice for Britney, about a dozen fans took to the corner of Santa Monica Boulevard and North Sweetser Avenue. Almost as many news crews arrived to document the protesters, which was also live streamed. The group's position, that Spears is being kept from making decisions on her own behalf. Location chosen does not appear to have any particular significance. Spears checked checked into a facility in late March after suffering an emotional distress, a source confirmed in Variety. On Easter Sunday, she was granted a one-day leave to celebrate the holiday with her family. People reported Spears was photographed leaving the Montage Hotel in Beverly Hills on April 21st. Spears has been troubled over the past year by her father's health crisis. Jamie Spears recently underwent a second surgery to fix a ruptured colon. So she's got a lot of stuff going on. You can go deeper into the story as well. But just go to our website for thisistheconversation.com and click on the link for this week's podcast. We have links to all the stories. You can go deeper into detail with that. But we know that Britney Spears has had a lot of things going on, including the time back in 2007 when she just showed up at a salon and shaved half her head. That's in the story, too. If you want to go deeper into Britney's troubles, although Britney did respond to the outcrying of fans saying she all right, she needs some time you can um check it out and respond to that as well. You can respond to us and talk to us if you want to on that one, but like I said, this is the 8 story because you guys made it the number 8 story just like you made the next story the number 7 story. And this one uh more of a regional thing because it is what it is, but it does have a bit of um A bit of flavor that can make it something big for the nation. Here We pulled this one off the blog, the takeout, so we'll just say that's where it is. It's a bigger story, but that's just where we happen to find the source for it. And we're going with the title that they put out there. Wisconsin Coffee Chain Will Change Its Name, Apologize to Native American Tribes. Posted on Friday, April the 19th, and this story in the 7th spot, of course, gets a bump in response from the eight of 19.64%. Now, before I try to butcher up the commentary and what the deal is on this, let me read a few lines from um, The Takeout, the blog, which is all a part of the family that gives you Deadspin, Gizmodo, Jezebel, Lifehacker, and those stories from those places, those blogs you may love or you may hate. It's all based on your personal taste and preference. Restaurant chains have lately been accused of appropriation, usually by the marginalized groups whose name or likeness or cuisine they've copied. Exhibit A is Lucky Lee's Clean Chinese Food in New York. Exhibit B is celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay's authentic Asian restaurant, Lucky Cat, in London. And Exhibit C is Lou's Bodega Restaurant in Austin. But the news of Wisconsin-based chain Kickapoo Coffee's name change is different in a substantial way. The coffee roaster voluntarily opted to change its name before receiving complaints. The Milwaukee, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports Kickapoo released a statement saying it will change its name in 2020 as its use of the term Kickapoo could be considered appropriation of the name of four indigenous people's tribes. The Roasters co-founders chose the name in 2005 because of the company's location in the Kickapoo River Valley, but realized the customers outside of Wisconsin were confused because there are tribes in the U.S. and the Mexico called Kickapoo. From a statement from Coffee Roaster co-founder T.J. Semichin, by using Kickapoo, we claimed a name that was never ours to take. The decision to use the name and to continue to roast under it was an act of appropriation. Now the coffee company contacted representatives in the U.S. from the U.S. tribes. They're located in Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas to apologize. Uh, the groups were unable or unaware that Kickboo Coffee actually existed. They didn't know about the name of the roaster, and the company's co-founder says it was in criticism from the tribes that led them to the decision. So as we see, this is a definitely different take on this new appropriation for kerfuffle we have right now. So congratulations on the coffee chain for seeing something that was coming and making the change ahead of time. I'm not sure what the name of the company is. If you want to go deeper into the story, go to our website and click on the link for this week's podcast and click on the link for this story. It gives you the links to the various stories and pieces and, of course, more of the story in in full as written from this blog, which is, of course, The Takeout. I am extremely proud of the international reach of the podcast and of reach on our social media for this is a conversation and we get a lot of love from down under a lot of folks from australia who are tuning into this podcast we see lots of response there so we love you guys down there but we're not so sure we love this trend that you've got going on down there on down there the headline it seems to be getting more popular for australian men to be to get botox injections down under posted on saturday april the 20th and a bump in response of five point four seven percent from the story in the six. By the way, the seven story had a nineteen point six four percent bump in response in it from the eight story, if I did not say that. So let's get on to this story. We pulled it from IFL Science. And if you don't know what that is, you'll have to check it out on your own. Check the link to see more about that site and more about the story. But I'll read a few lines from the story as written there. Cosmetic surgery is common among people of any gender. These sorts of surgeries can be useful to correct some underlying condition or to address deep insecurities. Also, just like fashion, there are trends. Certain procedures become suddenly very popular. One such procedure that seems to be increasing in popularity among the Australian men is getting Botox injections into their scrotum. This is known as scrotox, the portmanteau of scrotum and Botox, although a U.S. doctor calls it balls ironing. An extremely visual and direct name and correct too. Botox injections to your scrotum relaxes your ball sack that will make it hang lower and reduce the wrinkles. There you go. The procedure is performed for medical reasons for men who suffer from testicular pain or for cosmetic reasons if they want a smoother feel and to peel bigger. There you go. Some have been done it because it's relaxing the scrotum and it makes sex more pleasurable. And there you go. We're not even going even deeper, no pun intended, into this story. But like I said, if you want to see more about the procedures and maybe why it's getting really, really big for folks in Australia, because they wrote a big article on this one, check out the link for this week's podcast at thisisaconversation.com. And go deeper on your own, on your own time, however it is you want to do. Because these are the stories that we talk about because you brought them up. And we're going with that. Next story posted Wednesday, April 24th. Bump a response of 17.45%. This one headline, Houston School announces dress code for parents. This is um something that if you are a parent who uh, picks up your kid from school, you may have seen some parents being a bit on the lack side, something I see every day. The headline from USA Today on the updated version says, Texas School dress code for parents sans Bands, sagging pants, pajamas, hair rollers, and more. Let's read a bit more from the actual story from USA Today. A Houston high school announced earlier this month that parents would need to conform to a dress code to be permitted to enter the school. A policy has drawn media attention and scrutiny. An April 9th letter announcing the policy is linked to James Madison High School's homepage. It lists an array of clothing that parents are not permitted to wear inside the school or at school events, including a satin cap or bonnet on the head, hair rollers, pajamas of any kind, leggings that are showing your bottom and where your body is not covered from the front or back, sagging pants, men wearing undershirts, daisy dukes. The school, which has a dress code for its students as well, according to the Houston Independent School District, enacted the parental dress code to help create a professional educational environment, Corlotta Orley Brown, the school's principal, wrote in a letter. So if you are a parent... Who either breaks these rules or is a bit frustrated by people who are breaking these rules? This is something that really means something to you. This is one of those stories that really does hit home, and the conversation got really heated inside of the social media. If you want to join in that conversation, email me or jump in if fray inside the social media links if you can still find them. Email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com and tell me what you think about this one. Should there be more dress codes for the adults showing up at the schools? Let's move on to our first super story of the week. It is a story in the number four spot, and we'll get to some interesting things about the super stories. But the very basic story uh, pr- pr- premise is a super story are two stories put together. We post multiple stories, uh, multiple. Obviously multiple stories all week long, but sometimes we post updates to stories based on the way things go, and if they both rank high enough to be closer into the top ten, we will pull them together to give the combined numbers one hit – so we don't have to hit the same story twice, and it, of course, moves the needle. This one in the four spot was previously a story that was in the eight spot and then all the way down to 30, but enough points got into it to bump it into the number four spot, and only by a little bit. It's only bumped up or or, or more responded by the fifth story, bumped up from the five to the four by 0.4%. That's how little it was to move it up, and like I said, one of these headlines was already in the eight spot already. We're going with the the later headline in this one, that Sri Lanka bombings were retaliation for Christchurch attack, top official claims. That comes from the CBS News website. That was posted on Tuesday, April 23rd. We also posted the original story on the Sri Lanka bombings on Sunday as well. I told you the bumper response was 0.4%. Uh, that's how much uh, reaction we got from that one to the next one. Let's get you a few lines from the CBS story on the second headline, the more recent headline, which is on the fact that this the actual bombings were about retaliation, not the initial counts that they had, which, of course, was horrific. ISIS claimed responsibility on Tuesday for the Easter Sunday suicide bombings in Sri Lanka as an official in the country said the preliminary investigation into the attack showed it was, quote, retaliation, unquote, for the massacre of Muslims at mosque at Christchurch, New Zealand. The coordinated bombings on Sunday targeted churches and hotels in around in and around the Sri Lanka capital, killed more than 320 people. A quote from the state minister of defense, Ruan Wajanwande, told Parliament, the preliminary investigations have revealed that what happened in Sri Lanka was a retaliation for the attack against Muslims in Christchurch. Close the quote from there. It's unclear whether the defense minister... Uh, Minister of Defense based his assessment on, or what he did based his assessment on. And later on Tuesday, the Prime Minister, uh, Ranil Wakarenshindi I apologize for butchering those names, was more guarded saying it was possible there was a connection between the two attacks. Now, we may not know for quite some time, maybe even ever, because these things are all sort of fuzzy as they go. ISIS can claim responsibility for a lot of things without any real proof. And often there's the inspired by tag where people who aren't necessarily in the ISIS gang want to do something to impress ISIS or do something and kind of in that vein and do their own thing. This was pretty well coordinated by someone in a place that if you watch news reports, Sri Lanka, which has been known for a long time as a place where terrorism sort of bubbles up, but hasn't happened hasn't had that problem in about a decade this is the kind of thing that's well-coordinated That showed that someone had some sort of extra input into it. Whether it was truly ISIS, we may not know for quite some time. We go to super story number two on the week. This is another terrorism-ish story that gets even more complicated. The headline that we're going to go with is, Journalist Lara McKee Shot Dead in Northern Ireland by, quote, New IRA. The original uh, story had headline of, Journalists Shot Dead in Derry During Rioting in the City. Uh, once the two two came together, they were obviously meant to be together in it, the actual story. And these two stories, one of the headlines as uh, a twelve, one of the headlines as a sixteen, together turned to a three. So stories that were towards the end and not even in the top ten, all put together were enough to push it all the way into the top ten, into the top three this week. Bumper response from the number four story of one point six zero. And we will go more deeper into this super story and how it got to be on its own. Both these stories basically posted within about uh, 10, 12 hours of each other. So in the same range of the day. Gives you uh, some lines from the first headline we read you about the new IRA uh, taking the responsibility or being blamed for the shooting. This link we have is for USA Today. And you'll see that link if you go to our website at thisisaconversation.com and click on the link for this week's story here. Police blamed the fatal shooting of a journalist during rioting Thursday night in Northern Ireland on the, quote, new IRA, unquote, a distant parliamentary paramilitary group that rejects the Good Friday peace agreement between the British and Irish governments. Lyra McKee, 29, was wounded by shots fired toward police amid unrest that included dozens of Molotov cocktails and two hijacked cars. She died on the way to the hospital early Friday. Lundery police are treating the incident as a terrorist act. The 1998 Good Friday Accords brought a political solution to a long running violence between Catholic and Protestant communities that claimed more than 3,700 lives. Quote I was standing beside the young woman when she fell beside a police Land Rover tonight in Cregan, Derry. I called an ambulance for her, but police put her in the back of the vehicle and rushed her to the hospital where she died. That's a quote from Leanna O'Neill, a journalist of the Belfast Telegraph and White Witness. Uh, she tweeted, sick to my stomach tonight. Um, just a quick I- information about McKee and then you can go deeper into the story by going to the website as well. McKee was an editor and reporter for Media Gazer, a California-based publication that writes about the media industry. She had also written for The Atlantic and BuzzFeed's News. She recently signed a contract to write two books and had risen to prominence in 2014 with a blog post describing the struggle of growing up gay in Northern Ireland. As I said, you can go to the website, is dot com. Click on the link for this week's podcast and get deeper details of this story and deeper details of Miss McKee and what's going on. We are definitely sending lots of thoughts and prayers, which we know is more or less the, the least amount of things you can do to a lot of people this week in these in these stories. This is one we're sending to the folks on something that it's hard to understand if you're not there. So it's a real big deal with the Protestant and the Catholic unrest in the area, which doesn't seem like it makes any sense. That's because I see it from a lens of a guy here in America. Most of the things that we have here that are issues, like the old slavery and Confederate flag thing, don't seem to make sense to folks over wherever they are. Moving on to number two story this week, this is the top Twitter story for the week all by itself. And trust me, when you get to this one and the next one, you'll see that they are large, although why they're larger is, is interesting as well. This story was posted yesterday, and it blew up quickly. In fact, it took me a few hours to um, kind of take note of what to do with it, as I saw it trending on Twitter. And so it took me a few hours to actually put it in there, and once it went thin there, it went big. Bumper response from the number three story? 110.24%. It's, that's how many more people responded to this story than the number three story just from just now. And that was a super story with combined stories that added to the mix. Let me just get you the headline and we'll go from there. UK press mostly silent on the matter of Prince William's alleged affair. Twitter ablaze. I'm going to gloss through this one pretty quickly because we want to get deeper into the next story, which is also pretty weird, amazing. Uh, Boing Boing is the source that we pulled. But as you can see, there are some rumblings of of. Well, British tabloids not living up to their name of being tabloids. Prince William is apparently dealing with what is an alleged affair with an alleged um, person in his life who's not his wife. And because UK press is not talking about it for many, many reasons, I would say. One, it brings up the whole Princess Diana thing. And two, they sort of like Prince William and Princess Kate. And three, the really big reason. They really love beating up on Meghan Markle, and Meghan Markle's things are really fairly innocuous compared to having an affair and stepping out on your wife when you are the next in line to be king of the country. Even though Meghan Markle, as many of the memes says, sneezes, talks too loud, takes a deep breath, or maybe drops a handkerchief, and everyone's jumping all over her while Prince William is having an affair, and yeah, just like that. So because the British press is the British press and really weird how it is and have a love affair for uh, Prince William and Prince Harry in a sense, mostly because of their love affair with Princess Diana, although she had issues that were really weird, weird domestic issues that normal people have. And, well, the royals are a royal thing. As I said before, I see this from the lens of a person who ain't over there and I don't get it, don't really care to get it. But this is the story, the number two story, per se, you, you guys want to get into it. Maybe it is because we have the international-ish type of audience, or maybe it's because they really, really, really love them, Meghan Markle and are kind of upset that they're not jumping on Prince William. Now, what we said, it's an alleged affair. It's not something that's been outed officially, but it is still something out there that um, people aren't quite talking about. And after all the fuss and fanfare, this is a story that you all definitely wanted to talk about. This was a top Facebook story all by itself. Twitter impact was pretty high as well. This story has a bumper response from the number two spot of 94.94%. From the number 10 story this week, which was the headline on Abigail Disney wanting to give up the money by their execs to the low low-pay low pay employees of 617%. And looking at it from the almost relevant story, story number 191 this week, 51,950% more responsive. This is a story that is very dark and very heavy, and I'm not necessarily all that thrilled to go into it, but I have to report the way you guys looked at it. And this is one that was a very serious charge and very seriously, um, it's a very serious story. Monday, April 22nd, is the day it was posted, the headline, Teacher Charged with Hiring Hitman to Kill 10-Year-Old Student He Allegedly Molested. Newsweek is the source of the story, so we're going to go to Newsweek to read a few lines from the story. St. Louis' teacher was arrested last November, charged with molesting the 7-Year-Old Student three years earlier. Last week, while in jail waiting trial, Taylor and his partner were charged with trying to hire a hitman to kill his former student and his family. When Deontay Taylor, 36, was a teacher's assistant at Lusher Elementary in 2015, he allegedly removed a 7-year-old male student from class and took him to another room where he engaged the boy in oral sex, according to KSDK. Though the boy, who had not been named, and his family reported the alleged incident to police at the time, Taylor was not charged until years later. In November 2018, police arrested Taylor after a DNA test revealed that his sample matched the DNA found on the alleged victim at the time of the alleged incident, Taylor faces three charges of first degree statutory sodomy. Between 2015 and 2018, Taylor earned his teaching certificate and became a fifth grade teacher at Walnut Grove Elementary School in Ferguson, Florida School District. Since charges had never been filed against him, he was able to slip through the vetting process. Taylor was in jail waiting trial in February when he allegedly attempted to arrange for someone to kill the now 10-year-old victim and his family in apparent bid to silence them. Taylor then convinced his boyfriend, Michael Johnson, 66, to pay the man to carry out the killings, which he did, according to charging documents. But the the intended hitman became a police confidant soon after exposing the plan. You want to go deeper into this story. There are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are fans of the true crime genre and into the real life stories of things of crime and drama and things like this. And this is a story of a very tangled web weaved. that's very interesting. If you're into those things, it's also a very deep and disturbing story that needs to be understood and told. If you're looking for more information on this story, check it out. Search for it online or go to this the link for this week's podcast and click on the link for this story and read it in full detail. It is disturbing. It is dark. It is hard to read. But it is important to put out there. And because this is a story that you put out as the number one story for this week, this is a story that gets the most attention from us to all of y'all. Now, if you want more stories going deep into these things or more stories that are more on the latter edge, you have the choice to make that happen. You have the power to make that work. Go to our Facebook and our Twitter and engage in the stories as they come down throughout the day. in your link on Twitter, it's TH underscore conversation. On Facebook, it is this is the conversation. And make sure we are by default set for your feed and Respond to the stories that come down your feed and check us out every week here on the podcast to see how things work out. Make sure you're subscribed and share the podcast with other folks who are into real news, news that is determined by the people out there who are consuming it, not just by a program director who's looking for it bleeds, it leads, or it's Trump. And it, well, nothing really rhymes well with Trump, but that's how that works out. Coming up in just a moment, we will get to why the two stories were super stories and why they didn't quite make it to the top. We'll kind of ponder that and talk about story 191 this week, the almost relevant story of the week that might be more relevant than you think. Here on The Wrap-Up Show with Jay Cleveland Payne for the week ending April 27, 2019. We have been very proud to be connected with Cloud9 Living for quite some time. I've been using Cloud9 Living and working with them as affiliate programs or as sponsors for various projects for almost as long as I've been working in business and doing my, my business and doing my media stuff. They have an easy exchange return policy. There's no expiration date on your gifts. And there's a price guarantee that you never lose out on markups or if you buy a certificate that don't ha- that doesn't have anything designated with it, it doesn't lose any value as it goes and i've talked about the fact that they are great gifts to give but i've never actually focused on great gifts to give if you are a company or a business corporate gifts and e-card gifts are very simple to do you can look up vouching vouchers and booking on the website see for great things to do and if you're looking for that very cool prize for your top executives or your top salespeople steak knives are great Maybe a driving experience or a flying experience or an adventure tour or something like a very cool glamping experience. Camping and things like teepees and tents and safari. Something really big and cool can be their next big win. And you can get a great deal on the certificate and on the deal by going through a link we have at our website at this is the conversation dot com slash cloud nine. That's the number nine there. This is a conversation com slash cloud nine. We we love you to stop by and check out all our great sponsors, all our great advertisers, all the folks that help us keep this podcast alive and a lot of my other media stuff going. But this week. For this episode we are putting a special emphasis on one of my favorite and, I, and it's hard to say that because you don't want to you know say like any of your advertisers are are getting any preference but these guys really do Cloud 9 Living have been creating great memories since 2005 and they can help you create your great memory and maybe a great memory for that great employee check them out at our link at thisisaconversation.com/cloud9 and give them a shot I think they'll make you very happy and your recipient happy as well from cloud nine living let's take care of some housekeeping first in segment number two and that is essentially the two super stories we had. Let's start off the Sri Lanka bombing super story, which actually were three possible headlines to put together. We also had a link in the story, or I should say a link to a story, with the headline, The richest man in Denmark lost three children in Sri Lanka terror attacks. His spokesperson confirmed uh, that was something that popped up as well. That one we posted on Monday the 22nd between the bombings on Sunday and the uh, thought of being retaliation on Tuesday, we chose not to put that one in the story because it wasn't as relevant as the folks. The fact that there was a bombing and it was terror related or expected to be um, ISIS retaliation, terror related, so that kept it out of being in contention. Adding those numbers would definitely made it a number three story that week because number two and one were just so popular, so so high. We'll talk about those in a second, but that super story, as we said earlier changed the fates of the stories that were lined up as number eight and number 30. Uh, it gave enough weight for the number eight story to move up to number four because the stories up into that point were pretty, pretty steady, pretty consistent. We had that super jump between two and again from one. And it's just, just the nature of the business of the day. The The Prince Harry story was a really big Twitter affair, which is why it took a blaze on Twitter. And the story about the teacher and the hit man, uh, That was something that that got to a lot of people very early, and that one stuck around quite a bit of time. So those were so high because they were. The Sri Lanka bombing was two stories that moved it into a higher spot, and it was something that was basically covered in a lot of places, so a lot of people probably didn't respond to it in our listings because they saw it in other places. Now, one that was a bit surprising, it stayed fairly high in the raw rankings, and that's the rankings of just kind of keeping up with the raw data back and forth without weighing everything and shifting it out with Facebook and Twitter consistently. And when it actually came out to the weighted version, they came out in the succession as the number 12 story, which made it right outside of the top 10, the number 16 story, which basically had no, 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 no weight whatsoever in the countdown. We don't talk about anything between 16 and whatever the the last number is we went ahead and put these two together because they were so close in the back end to see what would happen and we didn't suspect until we put the numbers in that it would go all the way up to number three so on their own that tells you how high and powerful and how weighted all the stories were essentially in the top 30 if you will they're all pretty heavily weighted but when you put those two stories out so close together from 12 to 16, it moves up into the three spot, barely edging out the story that we put together to make the four spot. And, of course, the one and two were just so so heavy this week. They could not be beat. But that's how that got to be so high and got more prominence in the actual reporting for today. Even though you say it's prominent, even though you're going backwards from the, the least to the most, it's just a way, uh, just a convention of making it hopefully Add some drama to the actual countdown. So the story on journalist Lara McKeague being shot and that being being the responsibility of being being, or the new IRA being held responsible for that, grammatically grammar aside, uh, that's how I got pushed to be such a higher reported story. So now let's go to the story. That is listed as number 191 this week. And as we said, we've had a bit of a slip off, had some some issues going on with some personal issues and some tech issues that dropped us down quite a bit in the number of texts, the number of response we can put out here. We'll probably pick up next week. We'll see what happens. But this is a story that got posted early this morning, essentially. So did not get a lot of chance to get any traction and wasn't as important by the time we posted it to really garner that much attention. But it's still Not as irrelevant as we make it seem in the title. We pulled this off the Yahoo News site, who pulled it off of USA Today. The original date for the story is the 24th. We posted it early this morning, 26th as we record. Here's the headline. Feeling Cute Challenge. Texas prison guards fired after probing to inappropriate post. If you've seen about the Feeling Cute Challenge where people put the hashtag, you know, Feeling Cute Today might do something inappropriate. That's what happened to um, some members of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice or Texas Department of Corrections, some prison guards. Let me stop blabbering and just read some lines from the story. Days after the Texas Department of Criminal Justice announced an investigation into reports of, quote, inappropriate, unquote, photos and social media comments by correctional officers, multiple officers have been fired or resigned. The investigation was tied to the, quote, feeling cute challenge. Hashtag feeling cute. The department said last week. The trend often involves uniform workers posting selfies coupled with captions joking about the work they, they may entail. The Houston Chronicle, which reported earlier this month that officers were apparently linked to posts with captions such as, Feeling cute. Might just gas some inmates today. I don't know. Or IDK, as they put it. Reported on Tuesday that four officers have been fired or two and two resigned because of the investigation. Texas Department of Criminal Justice statement to the Chronicle and the Associated Press did not provide details on the social media content involved in the firings because that would be going a bit too far with their people who went way, way too far. Coming up, we promise not to go too far. Just from 11 to 15, rounding out the top 15 stories that weren't quite in range for top 10 notice. We already talked about ones that were close that we pushed into there. So what got pushed down and what's might have snuck up because of it? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Plus, we'll have some shout-outs for those who gave us extra love this week on the social media here on The Wrap-Up Show with Jay Cleveland Payne from ThisIsTheConversation.com. This is the show for the week ending April 27, 2019. If you listen to me stumble on words and mumble on things and do weird groups and gripes and have weird mouth noises as I record this thing and think, hey, I want to be a podcaster too. How do I do that? I just don't know how. I can help you. Well, I could help you before, but now I have a more formal process and a place for you to actually look for these things. It is still sort of in construction, but you can go to podcast guidance found here. Podcast guidance found here for podcast guidance found there. And you can find podcasts. I have two podcasts that deal with the actual podcasting experience. One's called Master Your Message, which is being transitioned from my teaching you how to give a message project into how to just general messaging you know, on the sake of building for longer forms for podcasting and things like that. And the podcast pep talk, which is just a very quick thing to keep you going as you are doing your podcasting, getting along in your journey. You will see free content you can take along and get started right now, get going or keep you going. You'll see courses and consulting opportunities so that I can help you either by teaching you in a course or flat out touching it and getting it done. And there'll be a member area coming soon where we can kind of chat along with our own little mastermind. So check it out. I'm technically promoting a podcast here, promoting the Mastering Your Message podcast, which is already out there, and Jay Cleveland Payne's podcast pep talk. You can search for those and find them right now, but you can find more on your journey for podcasting excellence or just getting it done, which is pretty much what you're trying to do, just getting it done, by going to podcastguidancefoundhere.com, podcastguidancefoundhere.com, or yourpodcastadvisor.com, with an E or no, either way, it'll get there and you'll find podcast guidance that you're looking for. Not too expensive, not too cheesy, not too drill sergeant and not focused on buying thousands of dollars of software and tools and gear. It's about the basics, getting it recorded, getting it set up, getting it going. Podcast guidance found here at podcastguidancefoundhere.com. To begin the segment three, every week we go to the websites or the the social media websites and do shout outs to people who popped in and did extra special things inside of the week. And that doesn't take much effort. All you basically need to do is to reply to a story, like, love, share, uh, do what you do to get do what you do with with the actual stories to show that you're actually engaged. And I go through and read some names to some people who thank them for that. And if they hear it. They might get a prize if they reach out to me. Not saying that it's a big prize, but there might be a prize for you if you come back with something going on. So some people on Facebook that sent special love this week include Rebecca Davis, Ruth Ann Miller, Audra Allen, Deborah Lee Scott... We have something from Kat Throop, Benita Briggs, also Adele Carnes, and Kate Barnett in as well. Some of those names are very familiar because they seem to react to a lot of things. I thank you very much. I can't do this without you guys or any of the other new guys, but try to bring as many new guys as possible so we have larger conversations, deeper conversations, if you will, with more people. On the Twitter side, we have um, some love from Kel, also from Square Business Ed Memphis, who talked to me about another story that may pop up in this week based on how things worked out. Signature Desserts Nashville, thank you so much for hanging out there. They uh, responded to a story about vasectomy cakes that we didn't talk about this week. Kind of glad about that. Duda, Congo Bots, thank you Congo Bot, and all the bots out there, and the Brothers Binge Podcast. Uh, love podcasters, supporting podcasts out there. So the Brothers Binge Podcasts are friending me now, liking me now, following stuff now, and I am going to do my best to follow them as well. Hey guys, if you guys want the, the space that we had before in the in the promotions for podcasts, hook me up, send me a line, we'll get something there. We'll promote you guys for a couple of weeks. So here is the deal: in order to get a top ten. You have a whole lot of stories that don't make. This week, it had 191 stories in the listing to choose from. And we talked about the one at the very end of the list. So what about the ones that didn't quite make it in, not quite good enough to be in the top 10? We don't give you very much, and we do it on purpose, don't give you very much context on how the numbers ranked, other than what we talked about with the Super Stories and how they changed the game in the top 10. But we will tell you just where they are in number and what they might have meant to other things and why maybe they weren't quite as popular and important as the stories that went in. So let's start with the number eleven story. This time we'll count them up, if you will. And that headline for number eleven is World's Second Largest Empire Penguin Colony disappeared overnight with thousands of chicks wiped out. Posted on Thursday, April twenty fifth. So this is one that was posted very late in the, the in the week. So a little extra time would have brought it up just slightly. As we said, the Abigail Disney number 10 story was barely there. So this one was barely underneath that story right there. And the rest of the stories are all fairly close. This was uh, the link we use was from The Independent. Uh, and it's essentially, as the story says, there was a surprise in the a- Arctic this week where a colony of Empire p- uh, penguins, they believe or they said it's the second largest one out there. Essentially gone because the chicks are gone. So without the chicks to grow into a new a new colony, more on that one. Uh, it's 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 amazing how they're going to last off. And it happened because of an ice shelf collapsing in our Antarctica, basically wiping out with the chicks essentially all being drowned. If you can if you can put it that way. Usually about 15,000 to 24,000 breeding pairs of empire penguins flock each year to the breeding site, about 5 to 9% of the entire global empire population. And this is what's really sad about this when this whole batch gets wiped out. So a lot of people who just love penguins, a lot of people in the environmental uh, industry, a lot of people in general see this, see this as something that just kind of catches your attention. Whether you are an animal lover or an environmental activist, and whether or whether you're not, this is a story that means a little more, even if it's not on the surface, than you might think. So keep an eye on what may happen with that on either the animal circuit or either the environmental talk. Headline for number 12 is 13 students become ill on American Airlines flight. We got this off of the CBS local in Boston on Sunday, April 21st. So this one lasted quite some time, but wasn't quite strong enough to stay into the real numbers for the top 10. I'm going to read a few lines from this story, so you get more context on this one. I'm not sure why this one in particular was a big hit. Maybe we hit the right group at the right time, but this one did do its best to stick around. 13 students were hospitalized after becoming ill on a flight from Miami to Boston on Sunday. American Airlines Flight 1201 made its scheduled arrival in Logan Airport before 10 a.m. The students, who were part of a group of about 40 people, were on a connecting flight when they became ill. Victims were complaining of stomach virus symptoms. No other passengers or crews reported symptoms. The ill students were taken to Massachusetts General Hospital. By 3 p.m., five patients were released and were in good conditions, according to the hospital. Emergency personnel have since cleared the airplane. That's all you're going to get on that story as well. As we said, this is one we're not quite sure how it got there, but these are based on your responses. And as we always say, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, TH underscore conversation on Twitter. This is a conversation on Facebook, and that way you can decide what stories mean the most to you. If it pops up in your feed, there's one engagement, and that's great. But if you actually do more stuff to it, like it, love it, share it, that helps as well. This story is another one on the animal scene that uh, should get a lot of people's goats. Coachella puppy dumpster dumper arrested, charged with animal cruelty. I wanted to make sure I didn't get all the extra alliteration in that because it gets a little weird on that one. As I said, that's the 13th story this week. And Coachella has been a big deal because of the two-week festival. And we posted a lot of Coachella stuff. In fact, I thought the and Grande thing or maybe the Kanye thing we posted on Coachella would make it into the numbers. It wasn't necessarily far away but not close enough to really make a dent into what we're talking about. But this one did. Let me tell you about this. We pulled this from NBC News. Give a few lines from the story. A woman caught on camera throwing seven puppies into a dumpster in Coachella, California, was arrested Monday on charges of animal cruelty. Deborah Sue Colwell, 54, was charged with seven counts of felony animal cruelty after allegedly dumping the puppies into the dumpster near an auto parts store in 90 degree weather Thursday. In the now viral video, she is seen getting out of a white jeep, throwing out the puppies who were in a sealed plastic bag into the trash. And quickly driving away, authorities said. An employee of the store called Animal Services after a passerby discovered the puppies. According to Riverside County Animal Services, they said the puppies were about three days old and are believed to be terrier mixes. They are so small that they still needed to be bottle fed. Now, whether you are an animal lover, just like that the Empire Penguin story is, or you just hate really, really, really jerky people, this is a story that should also get your proverbial goat. Um, we don't have a resolution for this one. If you want to see more details on the story, you can link to it and see how this thing is being updated. As we said, all the stories, including these stories and the Almost Relevant story, will be linked to the website for today's podcast. So check it out, and you can see more about this story, and you can... Send the hate you want to send to our fine, fine citizen of this world, Ms. Deborah Sue Caldwell. Number 14 story is a tech story, and I'm all about the tech stories. And this is one that shows that sometimes the promises of the future and tech, when they can't be delivered, there is mass outcry for people to be mad. Headline, Samsung has reportedly postponed the Galaxy Fold's launch in China. Sunday, April 21st on this one. So this one lasted quite a while as well. Not quite big enough for top 10. Uh, discovery, The Verge, is where we sourced this one. And so here are some details, which you've probably heard this one already, because we've had plenty of stories on this one. We didn't try to super story this one because it snuck in with the shifting. But um, we're just, this is all we need to know about the Galaxy Fold. Samsung has reportedly postponed the Chinese launch of the forthcoming Galaxy Fold smartphone, according to Sam Mobile. The site, the site cites people familiar with the situation that the official release is due to an issue with the venue, but notes that other activities related to the launch have been delayed or canceled. Engadget Chinese editor-in-chief Richard Lei also noted on Twitter that planned events in Hong Kong and Shanghai set to take place on Tuesday and Wednesday have been postponed. Reach out to Samsung for comment and the update we will post if we hear anything back. Word comes not long after a string of reports from tech journalists who found their review devices broken after a couple days' use, ranging from issues with the hinge to broken screens and protective coverings being accidentally removed from the screen. The story goes deeper and deeper into the issue with the Galaxy Fold. The Fold is the very first made for commercial use folding screen, a folding screen. uh, smart device. So essentially, it's taking your your tablet and making it so you are able to fold it in half and stick it in your pocket, like it was the size of a phone. The problem is, it breaking it breaking a lot, as one would expect, and uh, it's 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 a big that's a big issue. You don't want to sell a bunch of people a bunch of broken phones, especially since it's re- rumored to cost about two thousand dollars just at this highest price. So that doesn't sound like a great product to have to deal with. So Samsung is going to not deal with it in China for right now. And finally really wrapping up the top 15 at the story at the number 15 spot today. And for all the response about me making this a blacky black 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 podcast with issues that are often black issues This is one that snuck in with a lot of the shifting we had going on. It was something that I kept an eye on that was actually fairly high in the raw rankings for a bit and then slipped out. This one literally just slipped in when we did the Super Story shifting. So it's what it is, and it's because you guys cared that much about it. So we're going to read a bit of it and then go a little deeper just for a little bit since we're at the end of the show on how we get things blacky, black, black, black off from the Hill, the number 15 story posted on Saturday, April 20th. The headline is, D.C. residents suggest Howard University move campus after students complain yard is being used as dog park. Yes. And so you can go to the website, as we said, click on the link for the story. You can see the video of the Fox 5 story, and you can read more of it from the Hill's perspective On what's going on. Essentially, there's some backlash on social media from a man who decided to uh, complain about the complaints that he was getting because he was using a part of the university campus where he walked his dog to walk his dog and let the dog do the business, which is not the main point of the campus. So that's a problem. Sean Grubbs Robichaud made the remarks in an interview with a local Fox affiliate, that's being Fox 5, telling the outlet that students could quote, The students are, quote, in part of D.C., so they have to work with D.C. So if they don't want to be within D.C., they should move the campus. I think we need to work together, and I don't think it should be a he or he or they or he situation. Continued, It's our community. It's how it should be. Yeah. So here's the weird thing. Uh, It's not even that weird. Howard University is a historically black university and they've been complaining about the increased number of residents um, using an area they call the yard, which is a place where the students congregate for a campus dog park or just a dog park in general, just local, just walking dog because it's a large yard area. And it's a an area that they use for the campus that's that's essentially used for just being kids and students. It's not so much a part of D.C. It's a part of the campus. And because, you know, people are jerks and people who are jerks say things that jerky people say, this is becoming a larger ordeal than it should be, whether than having respect for the campus having respect for the property. Um, it's, it's just a really, really stupid thing. And this is, once I said, not to make this a blacky black, 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 context. It just is what it is when people, despite color, despite race, despite um. species, because we're dogs. It's people being general jerks. And with that, I will stop being a general jerk and be a good guy and wrap things up so we can get done. Brevity is what we're shooting for, and hopefully we've done a greater job of brevity today, because Sometimes we don't. Thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. This podcast, this website, this movement does not work without you as we do our best to have the best conversations on all the news stories out there or as many as we can by putting them out there and letting you decide which ones are more important than Trump Chirons. Though Trump Chirons are kind of important, especially to us here. They're not the only thing going on for 12 hours a day, so we make sure that you get a chance to tell us which other stories not being reported, being underreported, sometimes being ignored, sometimes being hidden on the rocks on purpose because some of these stories are kind of weird uh, that we should be talking about, and we talk about them here on the podcast. To be a part of the game, it's simple. Follow us on social media. On Instagram, we are This is the Conversation. On Facebook, we are This is the Conversation. On Twitter, we are thconversation. And if you follow the Facebook and the Twitter, as you see the posts come through your feed, like them, love them, share them, hate them, respond to them. You can even like and love and share, respond to the Instagram as well. But those are just uh, basically the top five of the day. Now I can get very much in the actual rankings. We'll see if we can figure that out somehow later on. If you want to have more great people sharing in the actual conversation, share the conversation with more great people or not so great people or just just people on the streets. Find some friends, find some enemies, find random strangers, grab their phones, sign them up for the podcast, show them how to get on social media. Just take their phones away, put them on, sign them up, hand them back. They will say thank you because they always say thank you. Just make sure you keep on walking down the line as soon as you're done so you can get to the next person. That way we get more efficiency. That's that's what we say. Reach out to me directly. You can email me at jclevenpain at gmail.com and find out more email for or more information on stuff at jclevenpain.net. Of course, we gave extra special sponsor podcast love to podcastguidancefoundhere.com where you can get your podcast guidance and more podcasts. And our big sponsor this week we showcased was Cloud9 Living. Check them out at this consultation.com slash cloud9 for a great deal on great experiences. If you want to hook up with us on the show wise, just email the conversation inbox at gmail.com or check us out at the main website. This is a conversation.com. Once again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because this doesn't work without the use. Make sure you're around for next week. Subscribe wherever you want to see your pods. You were even on the brand new luminary, even though, Joe Rogan's jumping off. Don't worry, we're still there. You can catch us on Human Luminary and any other great place where your pods are caught. If you can't find us on your favorite podcatcher, let us know. We'll see what we can do to remedy that and be here next week. More great stories. We'll go through the top 10. As per you, the stories that you said were the most important, not what the Chiron said, here on The Wrap-Up Show with me, Jacob and Payne, Brought to you by thisisaconversation.com.